0: If you'd like to take your Bibles out and follow along this morning, um, I hope to begin a series of lessons today that will focus around a particular need that the church has in, in our day, in our culture today, and has had for since the institution of the church. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about our ability to give a defense uh, the Bible, maybe you've heard this statement before. Bible certainly is the inspired word of God, but sometimes someone might ask you that, "How do you know? Why do you believe that? Why do you believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God? Why should I listen to what the Bible says in my life today? And maybe you've struggled to give a, a response to that. Maybe you've just made a statement like, "Well, you just have to have faith. You just have to believe. I want to talk a little bit this morning about that idea. And as I said, prepare ourselves for later lessons on what uh, I would like to talk about regarding apologetics. I have to admit from the very beginning, this study, this, these lessons, um, are lessons that, that I have learned reading from a book by a man named Doy Moyer. He's a member of the church and an a excellent Bible student, but... The whole topic of apologetics has had my attention for some time now, and I, I've been wanting to put together a series of lessons on it. In fact, if you're in my office downstairs and look at my whiteboard, it's just plastered with apologetic questions that I think I'm, those are questions I want to answer in sermons. But I think before we can begin a look at apologetics, we have to begin somewhere else. So not to preach these lessons early, I do want to give you an idea of what we're talking about when we talk about apologetics. The idea of apologetics is the ability and the desire to defend the Bible and to defend Christianity against faulty logic, which is espoused by many critics today. And I want us to think of that first. It is faulty logic that many people bring against the Bible. The Bible, being the inspired Word of God, Christianity, the the faith in Christ Jesus as the Son of God, logically is the only conclusion someone can come to in regards to their life and Christ. So faulty logic is what is being leveled against the church, and we must be ready and prepared to defend against that in 1st Peter chapter 3 this is actually starting in verse 14 Peter writes if even even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart for so many a, a lack of ability to defend their faith has caused them not to be able to do this very verse. To sanctify, set Christ apart in their heart as Lord. And it brings so much fear and so much worry. And how do I answer these hard questions? What do I do? And What do I say? Peter says, don't fear and don't be troubled. Rather, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That word that he uses there... Um, always being ready to make a defense. In the Greek, that word is apologia. It's not the idea of an apology. We sometimes we, we think apology is saying you're sorry for something. I tell our boys, go apologize to your brother. That's not necessarily what that word means. It means to give a defense for why you did something. If I'm apologizing to somebody for something, what I'm really doing is telling them why I did that. And in the sense that we use it today, it's usually to show I really had no reason for doing that. That is justified, and will you please forgive me? It's not the way it's used here. It's used to show a defense, to show a reason for something. And I hope that in coming lessons, we will consider some ways in which we might be called to do that today. Some ways in which we might need to defend the, uh, the, the Bible and Christianity today and to better prepare ourselves to do just that. But as I said, I want to begin by looking somewhere else, and that is faith. What is that? This is the cornerstone of all apologetics. This is the cornerstone of our defense of the Bible is faith. And we need to be able to tell someone what that is. And if you ask that question today, you're going to get a plethora of answers. Sometimes when you ask the question, what is faith? Someone might respond, well, faith is just complete trust or confidence in something or someone. Complete trust or confidence. They'll say it's believing something with all certainty. Every now and then you might even get Hebrews 11.1. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But by and large, the biggest answer to this question, what is faith, is this. Faith is believing without seeing. That's faith. Faith is Indiana Jones stepping out on that bridge that that you can't see. Has to throw the gravel to, 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 to make sure it's there. By and large, that's how the world views faith. And that's actually a statement, believing without seeing, that I agree with. But we have to be careful because that statement sometimes gets turned into the notion today. Again, as I said, with that faulty logic of our day, that faith is completely blind. As we just saw in Hebrews. Hebrews 11.1 Faith deals with convictions. Faith deals with being convinced of something. And I want to ask you just on a, on a reasonably, logically thought today, what does it take for you to be convinced of anything? What does it take for someone to convince you of, of anything at all? <laughs> a- apart from the Bible even, what does it take for you to be convinced? And what you would, if you think about that, it probably takes two things. Faith needs two components. Conviction, trust. Uh, being convinced of something has two key components that must be considered. The first one is evidence. There has to be evidence for me to be convinced of something, and that evidence has to be reliable. And the second one is reason. I have to be able to trust in my own mind, to be able to trust in my own reasoning abilities to properly interpret that evidence so that a conclusion can can be true and can be rational. If either of these are missing, if we don't have have evidence and we don't have a a reasoning ability to to be able to determine that evidence, then yes, we are blindly following something. We have blind faith or we're not capable of making realistic choices. Uh, In other words, what people in the world might say is we are gullible. We are gullible. Now, I invite you all to look to the ceiling at the fish tracks that are all across our ceiling Very quickly, those of you who are looking up are going to go, fish don't make tracks, and they certainly wouldn't be on the ceiling. Gullibility is easily defeated with reason. We might fall for something for a second, but very quickly we go, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't fit with what we know about reality. So when it comes to apologetics and when it comes to faith, We have to be able to make sound decisions and become convinced about something because we look at both the evidence and we think about the reasonings. That needs to be very important to us to be able to to focus on these things. It needs to be a very important part of our life when it comes to explaining our relationship with faith. But that brings us back to our very problem that we're dealing with. And that is Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is a conviction of things not seen. How can that be built off of examined evidence? When I read that verse, some people read that and what they hear is, You're asking me to believe in a God I can't see. And you're asking me to believe that He's going to diligently seek me, and that, me, or that if I diligently seek Him, He's going to reward me. And, and that is the very definition of asking me to believe something without evidence. It says right there in our very own Bibles, it defeats itself. Believing or having been convicted or convinced of things not seen. And because of that, there is oftentimes a disconnect between faith and evidence. People say, well, they they can't go coincide. They can't go hand in hand, even within the church. Sometimes when someone comes and says, look, I want to believe, but I need some evidence, we might label that person as weak in their faith, lacking faith. But that's not how faith is displayed in the Scripture. And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time looking at this morning, the connection between faith and evidence and God's holy word. <clears throat> First cha- place I want us to look to this morning is John chapter twenty. If you'll I invite you to turn over there with me, John chapter twenty, a very interesting is th- said that gives us the very purpose of the gospel of John. John chapter twenty and verses thirty through thirty one. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Now just a little bit of history about John before we get into this verse. John's Gospel is likely one of the last Gospels to be recorded. Written most likely towards the end of his his life, he is in... uh, in his older age at this point, um, sometime very likely prior to the writing of the book of Revelation. John's Gospel was not written to the other apostles. It was not written to the disciples that followed Jesus. In fact, most likely his Gospel is not even written to the Jews. Because he spends a great deal of time explaining things like what Messiah means at the beginning of the book. Hebrews will know what the word Messiah means. The Jews know what the word Messiah means. He has to explain that Messiah means Christ, a very Greek word. And so it's very likely that John's gospel is written to those churches of Asia that he was accompanied with. The, 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 maybe the church of Ephesus received this first. Some of these seven churches that are referenced in, his, in, his, in the revelation of Jesus Christ recorded by John, it's very likely they're the ones that first received this gospel. And they're receiving this gospel so that those who don't believe can know about the signs that Jesus committed or performed even though they didn't see them in person. And all of this falls on the heels of a statement by a person who was with Jesus most of his ministering life. Thomas. Thomas is recorded as saying just prior to this account, Christ is re- resurrected. He's come back in amongst the, the disciples. Thomas isn't there. They're telling Thomas about it and he said, "Unless I see unless I see the scars, I will not believe." Now, that statement is challenged very quickly uh, in in Following through with the gospel, we see Jesus showing up again. Thomas is able to see for himself. He believes, and Jesus' response to him is Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. How does that happen? How do you believe without seeing? That is the very question that we're looking at with faith. How is that not blind faith? What John is saying here is the answer is verses 30 and 31. Testimony has been recorded. Evidence has been given. Just because they didn't see Jesus, just because they didn't walk with Him, or because we haven't walked with Him ourselves, does not mean that evidence does not exist. And that we can't examine that evidence. And that we can't, by reason, come to a logical conclusion about it. It's the very notion, I will remind you, the very notion that our own judicial system is made up after. Once you think about this. No juror ever saw a defendant commit a crime. No juror ever saw that. In fact, if they did, they wouldn't be on the jury. They would be removed from the jury. They would likely be a, a part of the... Of the prosecution they would be someone that would come up to give their testimony no juror ever saw it they never saw someone break the law and yet they can come to a decision that is beyond a reasonable doubt which is just another way for us to say a faithful decision why because they have evidence and they have testimony which usually not always but usually is eyewitness testimony what we see is in 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 our own judicial system No one has to see someone pull the trigger themselves to come to a a, a logical conclusion that yes, this person is guilty, or no, they are not guilty. The events either did or did not happen. That's how faith works in our very own judicial system. Faith also works in history. Which one among us saw George Washington? Which one among us got to meet Julius Caesar? And yet we believe that not only did these men exist, We believe that things about their lives are true. We believe that Julius Caesar was betrayed by a a friend and a a group of of people with him. We believe that George Washington was at Valley Forge. How do we do that? How do we have such a conviction of those things? Someone says, no, that guy never existed and he, he was never at this place. We'd say, this person's lost their mind. We are so convinced these things are true. How? Well, because we have testimony. We have recorded events eyewitness records to say, I saw this person at this place at this time. But we also have evidence in the lives of the people that followed them. Think about George Washington at Valley Forge. George Washington takes the Continental Army, General George Washington, takes the Continental Army into Valley Forge in the winter, and about six months later, a completely different army comes out. An army that's not being pushed around by the, the British uh, forces anymore. They're not always winning, but they're holding their own. And they're not giving up. And they're fighting harder. And we look at that and we go, I can know then, without a shadow of a doubt, that something happened at Valley Forge when George Washington was there with the Continental Army. How? Because I'm examining the evidence. And I'm able to... to reason that evidence to say, I see a difference in their lives. And I see testimony and I see evidence that these things were real. Something happened. Evidence works that way. Evidence works that way in allowing us to have faith in every one of these cases, in a judicial system, in a history setting, and in the Bible. And in Christ, evidence works the exact same way. And that's why John states, Jesus' signs are records. They're recordings so that those who have not physically seen Him with their own eyes, that didn't walk with Him those three years of His ministry, they can still have evidence and they can still come to a conviction, a trust, even though they don't see those things, they still have plenty of evidence to show them those things are real. But sometimes you'll hear someone say, well, that's all fine and dandy, but like Thomas... If only I could see if I had been there maybe I would believe but I can't and I wasn't and so I don't. Well, let me show you someone again who was with Christ and let's look in Matthew chapter 11 at their account and what Christ offers them as well. Matthew chapter 11 is talking about John the Baptist. And in verse 2 it says now while when John while imprisoned heard of the works of Christ he sent word by his disciples and said to him, "Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else?" Jesus answered and said to them, "Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me." Now this one is this is why this is so interesting to me. Of all the people, of all the people who who might come to Jesus or might come and say, I don't know about this guy. Is he really the one that we're to be expecting? Is he really the Christ? John is the one that you would think Jesus would say, John, come on. You've seen me. You just need to believe harder. You just need stronger faith. That's what you need, John. But that's not what he says. To a guy who has received a divine vision... He's seen the Spirit resting upon Jesus. He's heard the claim that this is the one that will baptize with the Spirit, a voice from heaven. He's had all of this, and now he's seen Jesus Himself, and he still says, are you the one? Jesus' response is, just believe harder. That's not his response. His response is, go take this man some information. Tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. Tell him about the people that I'm healing. Tell him about the people who were blind and now see. The people who were dead and now live. Tell them about the gospel being preached. Again, what he's saying is go give John evidence. That's what the Bible provides. That's what Jesus provides. Evidence through eyewitness testimony of the life of Christ. That's also what we can find externally as well. We're not going to get into that today, but there's external sources that are apart from the recordings of Scripture, that go along with and bolster the Word that the Bible said. Had this been the only Word we have, that is more than enough. I'm not saying that it's not. But there are things outside of Scripture, people who are not inspired, sometimes people who are not even friendly to Christ, who say those things did happen. I can't explain them. All of this confirms what the Bible itself reveals. But for today's purpose, what I want us to see is God never wanted faith to stand apart from evidence. He never expected us to be gullible. He never expected us to be blind. In fact, He warned against that. He never said, just believe in me, guys. He offered evidence to convince and assure that the hopes that we have are not in vain. And when we understand faith in that way, let me get ourselves caught up here. When we understand faith in that way, what I hope we will find, what I hope we will find, is that when people make criticisms against the church, criticisms against faith, maybe even criticisms against you, such as like an atheist. An atheist who might say, faith is just your way of saying, I don't have an answer to this problem, and I don't need to. You ever heard somebody say that? Maybe you talk about about creation, and and you're talking about how God created the heavens and the earth, not not some just cosmic explosion over time that that just happened to to create all this, but rather God purposefully made the heavens and the earth for for His will and for His purposes. Someone says, well, explain how that happened. I said, well, I, I can tell you what the Bible reveals, but that's about it. And I have faith. I trust this. And they say, well, see, right there. Faith, that's your crutch. Faith is your answer when you don't have one. Faith is just a convenient way for you to say, yes, my beliefs are unjustifiable, but I'll justify them with faith. I want you to know. I want you to understand faith. Because whenever somebody brings that charge against you, it can be crippling to your walk with Christ. It can be hard to go, Is that true? And what I want you to know is the people that make those claims, they have faith themselves. That's the nature of faith that I'm trying to bring out this morning. That faith is not just something that's, that's situated in the Bible only. It's not our little security blanket, our pillow that we can sleep on at night to feel good about ourselves. It is logically interwoven into every aspect of our lives. And people that even criticize the Bible, they have faith and they use it every single day. Atheists believe that nature alone is capable of creating the earth. There is no divine being. Nature alone caused... Creation to happen in the universe. What is that based off of? It's not based off of scientific fact. Scientific fact is replicable, scientific fact is observable and examinable. They, there is no self respecting scientist that will ever admit that the things that happen at creation we can recreate and we can observe again and we can test it. It's based off of philosophy. It's based off of a belief system that does look at evidences. They do have evidences for their beliefs, but they take those evidences and they come to a conclusion. What if we just determined that is? That's faith. To examine evidence and come to a reasonable conclusion. We might argue whether or not their conclusion is reasonable, but what they do is they have faith in, creation, in their views of creation. They use it every day. Let me ask you these questions. And these questions are not meant for you to take to an atheist and try to prove a point. I want to be very clear about that. But I want you just to think about faith in this way. How do you know that five minutes ago, you didn't just pop into creation? How do you know that... I've been preaching for about 15 minutes now? 20 minutes? How do you know that five minutes ago, you didn't just... We all appeared here. You say, well, because we have memories that go back further than that. How do you know those memories weren't created as well? How do you know your parents are your parents? If somebody comes to you and they go, you really didn't exist five minutes ago. Someone comes to you and go, you know what? I really think you should do this great deal of testing to prove whether or not your parents are actually your parents or not. We're going to look at them and we're going to think, you're the most unreasonable person there ever was. There is no way that I'm going to even entertain the thought that I just appeared out of nowhere five minutes ago. I am so convinced of that. I'm going to say all the people in the world that are able to reason are convinced of that. And we take things like our parents. We're so convinced, we're so convicted that our parents are our parents that we don't constantly go and get tests and all of these things to try and prove that. Why? Because we believe that based off of evidence and off of reason so much that anything that, that goes against that, we deem is illogical and unreasonable. So when someone comes to you and says faith is a Christian's useless tool, to cover up their foolish beliefs, what I want you to know is the only person that's being fooled there is them. They use faith every day. They just don't think about it like that. Faith is not gullible. It is not blind. It rests upon evidence which God provided. And so rather, it's more gullible, it's more unreasonable to look at all of the great evidence that we have and and look at what so many eyewitnesses recorded and come to the conclusion that Jesus did not exist. Even to come to the conclusion that Jesus was not the Christ. That is an unreasonable, unlogical conclusion based of the great evidence that we have. But that brings up another thought. If that can be my conclusion... Could it be that I have unreasonable faith? Is my faith reasonable? Can I believe that God is, but He does not have a reason and is not the reason for my faith? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him. But then it gives us two things for those who want to come to God. So he comes to God must believe that He is, believe that God exists, And also, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A rewarder. They must believe that there is a reason for believing in God, there is hope for believing in God. It's not enough to just say, God is, God exists. Our faith must provide a reason for the hope that we have in Him. And for many, their faith does not do that. Their faith does not produce this reason because to them, God has no reason. We might call them agnostics. That's what we describe agnostics as. That's what that word means. Someone who says, I believe there is a God. There is too much evidence in the world to say that there is not a God. I've examined that evidence, but I don't believe that that God has any use in my life. Maybe it's creation. Maybe they look at the world around them and go, There's no way this world just happened with a big bang. There's just too much evidence to show order and and design and intellect. Even some of the greatest arguers against Christianity, some of the greatest atheists and agnostics of our day, have come out to say, We don't buy the big bang theory. Now they have their own responses. Maybe aliens did it, but there is design in our creation. But it can't certainly be a God. But there's some who say, there is. There's a God, but what does He have to do with me? Maybe God created the world, but then He just kind of disappeared. He doesn't have a part in my life. He doesn't have a role in my life. Reasonable faith. Reasonable faith believes God is. But reasonable faith also believes that He is the reason for their hope. It recognizes that God had a reason for creating the world, for creating you. And what I want us to see is that brings up another action, then, or actually brings up another point, and that is that reasonable faith doesn't just believe God is, that He exists, and it doesn't just believe that He's the reason for hope, it acts upon those reasons. Turn over to James chapter 2 for just a moment. James chapter 2 and verse 19. James makes a comment about faith when someone makes the argument <clears throat> excuse me, that faith is all I need. Faith is all that I need to, to, for you to see my faith. I just need to tell you, to, to in a sense, just show you my belief. Just tell you about my belief. And in verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Now... What that tells me is that the demons do more than just intellectually assent to the existence of God. They believe He he exists, but there's also a reason for His existence to them. And that reason does not create hope in their lives. It creates fear. They shudder. So we have demons that show these first two. They believe God is. They believe that He's the reason for their fear. They shudder at the thought of God's existence. But that does not carry them over into a faithful relationship with God. Because what do they lack? They lack action. This this belief in God and reasoning God doesn't prompt them to act in a way that glorifies and obeys God. In verse 25, James continues this very same thought and says, "...in the same way... Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. He points to Rahab and says she was justified by works. What did Rahab do? We talked about that Wednesday night. Rahab examined the evidence that was given to her. She said, we heard about the Red Sea crossing. We heard about how God led you and parted the Red Sea, and that doesn't make sense to us. We heard about how you went up against the nations, the king of Og and Sihon. We heard about how you went into these places, places you should not have been able to defeat. And the conclusion that I've come to from that is not only does God exist, He is the only God, the God of heaven and the God of earth, and I need to put my hopes in Him. My country, my city will not save me. Maybe God will. And so she uses that belief that God is the reason for her hope. He is the only chance that she has that He exists to say, what do I need to do? And the response that she has given is you, for you to be saved and for your household to be saved, you must be here in your home. And you must hang a scarlet cord out the window. And she follows these things, and that leads James to say her works justified her. Sometimes, this is where people have a problem. Sometimes even within Christians say, wait a minute, that last one doesn't belong there. Because doesn't Paul say that faith justifies us? In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says we're justified by faith. So either we have a contradiction, or we need to understand that James and Paul understand faith the exact same way. Both Paul and James understand that faith believes in God. Faith acknowledges God exists. Faith trusts that God is the reason for our hope, that if we want to have eternal life, it's only going to come through Him but faith also moves us to act upon that reason. Thus, we can, Paul can faithfully say faith does justify us the same way that, that James says that works justify us in regards to faith. Eternally, what we are seeing then, that this issue of faith has lasting ramifications. I want everyone here to know that there is not a soul here that asks you to sacrifice reasonable minds to choose to believe and follow a God that you cannot see. That's not what faith is. Faith does not ask you to sacrifice your reason, faith asks you to use your reasoning mind to examine the evidence that God has given for His glory. And that's what we want to help with. This morning, I want to briefly remind you I want to briefly remind you of some of the evidence that we have. From Scripture, Jesus of Nazareth is born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, just as Scripture, just as the Old Testament prophesied hundreds of years before would happen. And throughout His life, He performed miraculous feats. He healed those who were sick. He restored the sight of the blind. He raised the dead, all the while claiming to be the Son of the Most High God. And these are things that not only Scripture testified, His apostles who were with Him testified, but also His critics in the first century acknowledge there are wondrous things around His life that we can't explain. Most notably is His death. He died on a cross. Proven fact in history, Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, the son of Mary and Joseph, died on a cross. That's based off of eyewitness testimony of His friends who were with Him and His foes alike. He was buried in a tomb. Again, testified to by both friend and foe. The Jews were so concerned that His friends may dig Him up that they placed Roman guards outside of His tomb. Great authorities knew Jesus is buried here. And then He was resurrected. And that didn't happen in a corner. Over 500 people at once see the resurrected Christ. And yes, many of them friends, but I want you to think about one of them who was a foe who saw the resurrected Christ, who saw Him on His way to go and throw people who follow Him in jail. Saul of Tarsus saw the resurrected Christ on the way to Damascus. And just like we looked at George Washington and Valley Forge, we can look at the testimony of Paul and the change in his life. When he saw the risen Jesus, he underwent a huge change. No longer devoting himself to destroying the way of Christ, but to furthering it. All the way to the point of giving his very life in service to Him. What I hope that we will do today, if we have not already done so, what I hope that we will do is do exactly what Paul did. Examine the evidence and reason through it in Christ. Realize that God had a purpose in all of this, and everything that He did, John 3, verse 16 says, because of His great love for us, God gave us His Son that those who believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. I want you to let the belief based upon evidence and reasoning of your hope for eternal life in Christ Jesus move you to act. How did Paul act? In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, he records and recounts the time that he went following God's instruction and was met by Ananias who asked him, Paul, why do you wait? Why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon His name. Can we assist you today in your faith? Maybe there's something the congregation can do today to help you begin to look at the the evidence and to make a faithful decision to follow Christ. Maybe there's something the congregation here can do to help you with furthering your walk of faith, whatever it is we can do, won't you please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.